Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornchai. Well, brother, it's uh, always good to see you from week to week. Um, last week's episode was actually pre-recorded, so we've had a couple weeks break there. Uh, yeah, right. But uh, I, I hope folks that are listening to the podcast find these as helpful as I do, honestly. Uh, these are opportunities for me to sort of dig down into whatever particular topic. Sometimes, you know, we haven't gone over these things um, it, you know, in any depth in some time, we hit them while we're preaching and that might've been, you know, a year ago or six months ago or, or, or whatever. So, uh, I, I enjoy doing these. They're helpful and beneficial, at least for me. And I'm, I'm sure they are for you too. Oh, absolutely agreed. Um, the, these topics, um, you know, sometimes even people in uh, my own church might ask, uh, you, you know, what exactly is the podcast for? Well, first, first of all, anyone can listen to them, including those uh, in my church. And, and these are topics that, you know, you have an opportunity to hear two pastors uh, really talking about it on the air. And uh, as we talk about it, you know, I think a lot of you who are hearing you, you know that sometimes you know a topic but you don't really know it as well as you think you do or you don't know how you would articulate it until you're put in a position to do so and uh, so a lot of these uh, things that we talk about these are things that are um you know they're in my head they're in my mind um, but until we get an opportunity to actually talk it out and and to hear one another they help to crystallize our thinking on something and and certainly i've heard a lot of um, good feedback um, I, I know there was one person in my church who was even saved uh, from one of our um, episodes in which we addressed the topic of salvation oh wow um, so this is I, I tell you God. what god's yeah god's word never returns void and uh, and so we've seen that uh, even just from this episode but yeah the last few episodes i've seen uh, people really um, just express thanksgiving um, for the things that we're willing to talk about and the value they've gotten out of it so i, I really look forward to this as well yeah and you know if folks listen to the little intro and outro uh it, it tells you kind of the aim of the podcast right it's a theologically driven podcast to do just what you've said it is to en encourage and equip believers and uh, I think folks in both of our churches uh, benefit. I know the folks in my church listen regularly as well, uh, and it's they found it to be very helpful. So, well, speaking of being very helpful, today's topic is an, you know, it's an interesting one uh, to me that we have to, I felt the need, that, and you felt the need we need to do this, is simply answering the question, is Jesus God? Um, and, and I say that, it's unusual and interesting that we do that because if anyone's read through any of the New Testament, uh, if you've read the Old Testament, certainly if you've ever read through the Gospels, uh, John, let alone any of the other ones, yeah, um, right. you're confronted with the reality of, uh, of the fact that Jesus is God over and over and over yeah. again. I'm sure uh, you, you actually preached through the book of John uh, that was the last book you were in, right? Is yep. that right? So, you know, week after um, I'm, week I'm after still in week. it. Yeah, John chapter 15. Oh, okay. You're still in. That's mm -hmm. right. You preached through Ephesians first. So, you're still in John. And so, that's week right. after yeah. week after week, you're getting Jesus as God. Um, yep. The claims that he makes, and we'll talk about that. But there is a huge 
movement. Uh, it's it's far larger than I'd like to admit. It's far larger than I wish it was. Um, of of folks that uh, are in various um, various categories, right in their doctrine, that would say Jesus is not God. Uh, you have just you know uh, guys who are outside the Christian faith. Well, I think you're they're all outside the Christian faith if you say Jesus right. isn't God, but guys who don't say they're Christian, right? They're in another religion or whatever the uh Muslims for instance uh would teach Jesus isn't God. He's just uh he's a prophet. Um right. so you have those folks, but there's quite a large movement in liberal quote unquote Christianity um that would say, well, Jesus never made that claim. And we've had some people attack our uh social media pages when you know, when we say things like Jesus deserves worship. Uh, in fact, I think the last big uproar we saw was on that. Um, and people made the claim, well, Jesus never desired to be worshipped, never said he should be worshipped. He wasn't God. God alone gets worship. And um, that's really sad and unfortunate, uh, because if that's your view, then the Jesus you follow just very simply isn't the Jesus of the Bible, right? Yeah, and as I've been preaching through the book of John, I mean, you see over and over again, John uses the word believe, especially in the early earlier parts of his book, to describe people who think they believe, but they actually don't believe. And it's highlighted uh, really with John chapter 6, verse 66, uh, which says that many who followed ended up walking away from him because of the things that he said. Um, and, th and that was just one example, but it was a very clear example. And what we see throughout the book of John is that those who think they believe when they start to hear Jesus speak the truth, you start to realize, well, they actually don't believe. Um, and, and so to believe in Jesus Christ is to believe um, everything that he says. And and then that's the reality of the Christian walk. And, and we're not talking about, you know, these um, the, these kind of more hard to understand kind of doctrinal points where we're, we're talking about the the words of Jesus Christ himself, what he actually testifies uh, about himself. And when we make statements that Jesus deserves worship or that Jesus is God, um, I, I I always expect that there is going to be unbelievers who push back on that. I always expect that there's going to be kind of a fringe element, maybe people who are Jehovah's Witnesses, mm -hmm. um, people like that who will push back. Um, but I've I've been more surprised that the pushback is much stronger than than I imagined, and that there's a lot more people pushing back on it than than I thought. And uh, and I know that even as an immature believer, though I was convinced that Jesus Christ was God. The arguments from Scripture, um, I only knew really just a few arguments mm -hmm. from Scripture. Um, so it wasn't um, it wasn't as clear to me the way it was laid out throughout the, the throughout the, the the Bible and especially throughout the New Testament um, the the attestations made of him the statements made the implications and you know a lot of people complain well there's no verse that says Jesus is God well there are some verses that actually say that um, quite clearly but the even more than that the implications are just all over the New Testament where you really can't make sense of the way people are talking about Jesus unless he is actually God in human flesh. Yeah, it, it's a good point. And I think you're talking about implications. And um, it, this really comes down to understanding how to rightly read and interpret the scriptures, right? It, it's all in most, most of the time, what I found is that when people say, well, show me the verse that says fill in the blank, it's disingenuous, right? right? Uh, there, there's no right. verse in the Bible that speaks about the, that says Trinity, for instance. However, 
We right, understand right. through the totality of scripture, we come to understand yeah. what we call the Trinity. Um, and that's not the only major doctrine, right? And so we're not looking for the word, although, as you say, uh, the Bible clearly right, states that Jesus is God in several places. Um, but we're looking at what's taught, and we've got to use our brains a little bit uh, to understand yeah. what's taught. Now, I mean, we'll talk about a bunch of these passages um, as we go forward in the podcast, but this really is a very, um, this is a very large topic. It's a very important topic. Um, Not that the other podcasts we do aren't important, but we're talking about the central figure of the Christian faith, right? I I mean, Christ is in the name of the faith, right? Christian. Yeah. and so, if you get Jesus wrong, you, you no longer have the Christian faith. If you're following right. a Christ other than the Christ of the Bible, you're not a Christian. Um, yeah. and, and so, I think you can be immature in your understanding, as you say, when you first come to Christ. Yeah. Look, right. everyone's immature in their understanding yeah. of everything yeah. when they first come to Christ, right? Uh, and so, we're not talking about that, but if you deny or reject the deity of Christ— you're not, by definition, a Christian. Um, and so so this is a really important topic. So l- let's just kind of jump into the Bible. So if you're listening to us and you can, and you're at a place, you know, grab your Bible and open it up. Um, so you can just see the passages or maybe take out a sheet of paper uh, and, and you can write down the references. But, you know, I, I want to spend some time in John, uh, which would be great for you uh, yeah. since you're preaching through John. Um, but, it, you know, you go through the scripture and we see Jesus talking about his heavenly origin um, very yeah. often in the book of John, right? Uh, and as well as other places, um, we see Jesus assuming roles of deity, I mean, this is where you talk about um, ha- having to think a little and understand and the implications. Implications are yeah, important. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Jesus assumes the roles that only God could have. Um, Jesus, you know, uh, 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 has the power to answer prayers. Uh, Jesus mm-hmm. has the right to receive worship, you know, things like that, that only God could do. Um, but it, you go to John, open up to the book of John, the very first verse very first verse the very first verse and i want to read that um you know if you're looking in your bibles most bibles will have a heading now those headings are you know they're they're not inspired they're just helpful uh you know kind of the thesis uh, of of the paragraph and they're generally correct all right but it's titled the deity of jesus christ it's titled that for a reason um in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Well, what's all that about? Well, what's the word? Well, you got to keep reading verse two, right? There's a personal, there's a pronoun there. He was in the beginning with God. Who's he? He's referring to the word. So we're talking about yep. Jesus here. Jesus, <laughs> yep. the living word. So Jesus was in the beginning, was in the beginning with God and was God. You, you can't really get any clearer than that. Yeah, even the way John starts off that verse, John 1, 1, in the beginning, um, any Jew who understands the um, Old Testament will know immediately that those words in the beginning takes you back to Genesis 1, 1. And yep. Genesis 1, 1, the very first four words, in the beginning, God. And when you think about Genesis 1, 1, Genesis 1, 1 
um, does not make an argument for God. It presupposes God. It presumes yeah. God. It says that from the beginning, God, and with those four words, it tells you that God has always been there. So you, you can already deduce just from Genesis 1-1 that God has always been there. And so when John 1-1 starts with in the beginning, he does so very intentionally. That That's a way of bringing you back to the Genesis account. And he repeats it in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. So in the beginning, as John starts this off, if you're hearing this, if you were to hear this from the mouth of John, you would expect that this is a quote of Genesis 1-1. But he doesn't say, in the beginning, God. He says, in the beginning was the Word. All right, now that's to say this, that when we think of God being there from the beginning, John is making a statement that this person that he's referring to as the Word is also there from the beginning. This, this person is eternal. And then the second part of that is, in case people start to think, well, yeah, John's referring to God when he says the word. He's referring to God, the Father that we know throughout the Old Testament. Well, no, the second part of that says, and the word was with God. He very carefully makes sure that there's a distinction between whom he is calling the word mm -hmm. and uh, whom he is referring to as God, the Father. And then the third part then draws the equivalence in terms of their essence. And the word was God. So they are equal in essence. The, the word was with God, not the same God that people tend to think of, the God the Father, but he also was God. And verse 2, he repeats, he was in the beginning with God. And just to hammer home the whole creation narrative, verse 3, all things came to being through him. And who is the him? Well, the him is the same as the he in verse 2, and the he is the same as the word in verse 1. Yep. And it going down to verse 14, the word became flesh. Very clearly, Jesus Christ. So all things came to being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. This is to say that as we know God to be the creator who created all things in six days uh, out of the Genesis 1 account, Jesus Christ is that creator. Um, it makes very clear. He didn't just create some things. It wasn't like he was the first created thing and God had him create everything else. Nope, that's not what it says at all. Um, it says that all things came to being through him. So somehow, both God the Father and God the Son were involved in all of creation, everything that's ever been created. Yeah, and and it's interesting because here, there really is no confusion, Right. Um, and, and then just verses four and five, I mean, it just goes on to drill down the, the deity yeah. and, and, and Godship of Christ. In him was life. Again, we're talking about Jesus, right? In him was life. So life, the very essence and beginning of life is in Christ. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Jesus later on uh, it makes right? The statement himself that he is the yeah. light. Verse five, the light shines into the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Well, we understand that to be Christ as well. And so, yeah. I mean, just the first five verses, if you had nothing else in the scripture, in scripture is enough to prove that one, um, Jesus, God, the son is not the same as God, the father. And two, that they are both God, God, the yeah. father, God, the son. Right. It, it would leave a lot of unanswered questions, but just that would give you just enough to be able to say that Jesus is God. Um, yeah. And, and this could be considered blasphemy if Jesus was not God, even to say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, because in the beginning was only God. Right. I mean, Genesis 1, 1 and the following verses go to show that God was eternal 
Um, the creation is not. The, the creation was created at some point by God, but in the beginning was always God. And so to be say to, to, to say that in the beginning was something other than God the Father that we know of um, would be blasphemy um, because only God existed. And so those statements right there, I, I think, make it absolutely um, incontrovertible um, that uh, it's there's no controversy. In other words, no controversy yeah. with the fact that um, John is making a very clear statement that Jesus Christ is God. And it's very and, and it's very telling that this is exactly how he wants to start off his gospel. And that's why the rest of the gospel goes to really argue this point in so many ways. And the titles given through to, to Jesus Christ throughout John's gospel, but even just this chapter, um, I, I, I remember when I was visiting you, Nathaniel, up in Alaska, I did a little Bible study with your church up there, and I decided to just do a walkthrough of John 1 and point out all the titles that are given to Jesus Christ. These are titles mm. um, that uh, many of them belong exclusively to God and given to Jesus Christ here. I, I mean, the fact that he is the creator, the fact that he is the light, right? The fact that he has the authority to give, uh, you know, to, to make, to, to, to give authority to people to become children of mm. God, right? Yeah. Um, the, the fact that he has grace and truth truth and that uh, he, he is the glory of God. All those things are, are things that are not given to any any man. Um, it can only be given to one who is of the same essence as God. Yeah. And it, what's really interesting, I mean, this is a really great apologetic here. You know, if you're not sure how to answer the question of, you know, well, show me in the Bible, you know, show me the verse that says Jesus is God. Well, there you go. Uh, John yeah. 1, 1 is, is in fact the verse. Um but you, you go through and read. Now, what's interesting is if you go down to verse 14, if there was yeah. still any confusion as to what the word is referencing, I mean, John just sort of hits this again and again. He makes sure yeah, that you realize right. who he's referring to as Christ. Uh, in, in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh. Now, we all know who became flesh, right? Right. Um, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So again, th there really can be no confusion. So if you just keep reading, um, John explains over and over again that from the very beginning, this word uh, in whom he's speaking is in fact Christ. Yeah, in fact, that verse fourteen is so powerful because if you if you were to look at the Greek and it, you you see that the word became flesh and dwelt um that word for dwelt that that's not the normal word for dwelling um dwelling uh, you know we often use the word uh, meno in the greek um there there's words that you can use that to just describe people living in a place or um, or being in our presence but but that word dwelt shares the same root of the word that is used for for the word tabernacle in the greek um so skenao so it, literally this word dwelt is is he he, he was as a tabernacle in our presence with us. Um, he was tabernacling uh, among us. Now, why is that powerful? Because in the Old Testament, um, the tabernacle is uh, where the Israelites would go to worship God before the temple was created. So the, ta the tabernacle was created during the days of Moses, and then hundreds and hundreds of years later, you have um, David who wants to replace it with a temple, and, and actually it's David's son, Solomon, who goes and does that. Um, but there's, there's nearly a 500-year separation at least between 
between the time that that the tabernacle is created to the time that the temple is created. So the tabernacle, very clearly where you go to worship God, but also in the tabernacle, you've got the holy place where only priests are allowed to go in. And then you have the holiest of holies where only the high priest is allowed to go in and only once a year. And it's in that holiest of holies that the glory of God would dwell. All right. So the word yeah. became flesh and the word dwelt. He tabernacled among us. And then look at what John says next. And we saw his glory. All right. Now, this glory, John doesn't talk about it the way the other three, um, the three gospel accounts talks about the transfiguration. But there is a transfiguration account where Peter, James and John go up to the Mount of Transfiguration with uh, with Jesus, and they end up seeing the glory of God just shining forth from Jesus' face. And it's it's such a, an amazing experience that stays with Peter all the way to the time that he writes Second Peter and and feels the need to bring it up. But we saw his glory, and, and he makes it very clear that this is not like the glory of angels or the glory of man, but he says, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth and then going down to verse 16 for of his fullness we have received and grace upon grace for the law was given through moses grace and truth were realized through jesus christ those kinds of statements cannot be assigned to anyone else aside from someone who shares the same essence as god yeah and here he names jesus right as yeah. the subject that he's been speaking of all along so we we have all of that in 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 the past oh and, and i'm sorry let me let me i, I read 17 and I, I stopped there i should have kept on going to verse 18. no one has seen god at any time the only begotten mm -hmm. god who is in the bosom of the father he has explained him so no one has seen god at any time the only begotten god so that that right there the only begotten god is now referring to god the father because he goes on to say the only begotten god who is in the, in bosom, the bosom of the father he has explained him and it, that word for explain this is where we get the word um, exegesis hmm. um this is the greek word um, um exegeomai or exogeomai or something like that so he has explained him jesus christ is the perfect explanation of god the father if you ever want to know what god the father is all about you have a perfect explanation of him in the flesh in jesus christ who is the only begotten god so those first 18 verses powerful powerful introduction mm -hmm. to the book of john and john starts off that introduction 1 1 and ends it in 118 with a very clear testimony that jesus christ is god yeah just over and over and over again i mean verse 18 really is a powerful powerful verse the only begotten god yeah. I, I mean, this, there's no way to walk away from these verses and not have the understanding that Jesus is, in fact, God. And John separates God the Father and God the Son so many times here in the passage, even in this one, as you brought up, Christ being the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. And so we also can't mistake, yep. we can't make the mistake of modalism, right? Even just right. from these chapters, modalism uh being a heresy that basically believes there's quote unquote one god it denies the trinity and that one uh basically changes forms right so if you have god the father yeah. there's no god the son or god the holy spirit uh you get to the book of acts now we have god the holy spirit and so there's currently no god the son no god the father uh it's a very old heresy originally termed sabellianism uh, but you just can't read through even just this first portion of John 
and come to many of the conclusions uh, that are heretical that are out there. Um, by yeah. the way, any any belief that denies that Jesus is God is is heretical, right? Um, it, it takes you outside of the the Christian faith. Uh, any any belief that changes the person or work of Jesus Christ or the character and nature of God would be a heresy. And that's what yeah. we, these, these are primary doctrinal issues, right? That we're talking about. So yeah, incredibly absolutely. powerful passages. Um, yeah. That, and, and even, Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. I, I just want to also add um, later on in chapter one, I'm, I'm looking Yeah, and, and I, again, you can just make so many arguments right here from chapter one, but um, chapter one, and once you get past verse 18, you get to the testimony of John the Baptist and uh, John the Baptist, uh, a bunch of Jews are coming to John the Baptist. They want to know who he is. Verse 20 says, I am not the Christ. He says, I, uh, they said, who are you then? Are you Elijah? He says, no. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And by the way, the prophet is also Jesus Christ. Um, they say, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? That those questions come in verse 22. And the answer is very important. Verse 23, very important. He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, when you think of the first four books of the New Testament, these are the gospel books. Um, they, and they, they, the first three gospels, we call them synoptic gospels. They, they detail a lot of the same events just from different points of view. But John typically goes in a very different direction, and he um, ends up documenting events that are not covered in the other three. And so you you have a lot of new material given in John that you don't see in the other three. And it's, um, it's only a few things that you see across all four gospels. Well, guess what? This quote right here in verse 23 of John the Baptist, you find this in all four gospels. All right. So there's no question that John the Baptist said it. So the question is, he says, I am a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Who is he making straight the way of? Well, anyone who reads this, and I tell you what, even Jehovah's Witnesses know this, that he is making straight the way of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, great. Well, guess what? That's quoting, because when he says, make straight the way of the Lord, he is quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And if I go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, we read in the book of Isaiah, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord. And okay, there it is. There's that that quote. But if you look at it, you will notice that the word Lord is in all caps. Or even better, if you have the Legacy Standard Bible, you will see Yahweh. Clear the way for Yahweh in the wilderness makes smooth in, in the desert highway for our God. So very clearly, when you look at verse 40, verse 3, there is no way to interpret this aside from the fact that this is God. And so when John the Baptist is quoted as saying that across all four Gospels, make clear the way of Yahweh. It, we know that he is the forerunner to Jesus Christ. So who is he referring to as Yahweh? He's referring to Jesus Christ as Yahweh. Yeah. And I do believe that when Jesus is often referred to as Lord in the New Testament, I believe that that comes with the Old Testament understanding of Yahweh, um, because that's even in the Septuagint, that's how they would translate it as, as the word Lord. Yeah, and that's important. And if there ever was an argument for using a translation like the Legacy Standard Bible, um, especially if you're if if you're just in the English, right? Um, if if you have no uh, training or skills in looking up the Greek or anything, that might be some of the greater arguments for using a translation like the Legacy Standard, because you see those references 
And instead of seeing Lord, you see Yahweh, which is, it, yeah. it was just translated, right, to Lord from Yahweh. But then there's no confusion. And you see in places like that where it's referencing Jesus clearly as God, right? Yep. Um, very extremely powerful. Um, you, you know, let, let's move on just a little bit and really just kind of over and over making the, the case that Jesus is God. It, it's such an important and necessary belief. Fundamental. I mean, this is a fundamental belief in the Christian faith. Uh, yep. But y- you go down through John and you, you find places where, uh, you know, Jesus makes himself equal with God all throughout. He assumes the roles of deity. You get down to uh, John chapter 5, uh, sort of 18 through 24, and yes. you yes. hear Jesus making some amazing and incredible statements. Uh, let, let me just read this short few verses. Uh, says, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, we'll bring that up, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. I, I mean, I could just stop right there. Uh, where's a passage right. where Jesus is made equal with God? Well, here you go. John chapter 5, verse 18. They were trying to kill him because of that. Uh, And so, again, there can be no mistake as to what Jesus was claiming for himself. I mean, this was blasphemous. You want to know oftentimes why they were trying to kill Christ, uh, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. Well, this is an interesting passage because let's just consider something for a moment. There is no created being that can truly see everything the father's doing that is not a possibility as creation so for jesus to make the claim that he sees what the father's doing is a claim to deity yeah right i I, I don't know how often we think of that but right yeah and and a couple of things um absolutely i'm going to touch up on that in just a moment going back to verse 18 um, when it says that um, that the Jews uh, were wanting to kill him because he was calling God his own father. In this day and age, I hear so many people say, well, no, Jesus is God the Son. That means he's not equal to God the Father. Um, the problem is when you go back into that day and age, the Jews understood exactly what Jesus was claiming when, when he was calling God his own father and, and by making himself um, his own only begotten son. They knew exactly what he was claiming. And then in verse 9, some will argue, well, Clearly here, there is a difference because Jesus says he can do nothing of himself. Well, here's the thing. Jesus came to do the will of God the Father. This is the proof that um, that they are completely aligned, that there is no division of will and purpose between God the Son and God the Father. That was the point of him saying, I can do nothing of myself because he willingly submitted himself to God the Father. That's Philippians 2 passage that we can talk about a little bit later. Uh, but the fact that he sees everything that the Father is doing and also the fact that he can do everything that the Father is doing, yeah. there is a huge differentiation now between jesus christ and every single other prophet who has ever existed in old and new testament because there is no other prophet that can do everything that god the father does um that that is also a sign of power that only someone who is god in human flesh could have 
Yeah, let's just use one of the prophet's examples. I, when he says the son can do nothing of himself, I, that is an, an, an incredibly deep and rich phrase um, because it, it really does communicate the, 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 the unity of the son and the father. It, it, create, it, it, it communicates the deity of Christ there. Um, just yep. think of Jonah, for instance, a known prophet of God. Right. Yep. Um, Jonah could not say he couldn't do anything of himself. God commands right. him to go to the Ninevites. And w- what does Jonah do? Uh, he gets up and says, absolutely, I can do nothing else. No, that's not what he right. does. He says, no way, he I'm out of here, man. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he flees. Not only does he flee, but he puts other people in danger. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. in, in, in fleeing. And so we know the story. He's swallowed by a big fish. We don't know that that's a whale. Uh, he swallowed by a big fish uh, as a side. Um, and he, you know, three nights in the belly of the fish and God, you know, spit causes the fish to spit him up on land. And then he goes on and he's not he's not a happy prophet. Uh, I mean, Jonah no, is a not. bitter, angry <laughs> prophet. Um, right. And, and in fact, you know, though he obeyed the command, he didn't do it with a, a sincere and joyful heart at all. In fact, no, God he, the Father had to force him, in, in other words. Yeah. yeah. And and so we just see when we think about the things other prophets done, and, and he's not the only prophet that strayed, that wandered, that, um, you, you know, found themselves, uh, you know, fleeing uh, away from, as it were, um, God's will for their life. Now, ultimately, no one gets away from God's will for your life. But here, you know, Christ is making the statement that that's not even a possibility for him. And the only way that that could be true is if you are God. Um, so, it, just incredibly yeah, rich it, passages. Yeah, and and the following verses as well from twenty one to twenty four, I think bear major testimony as well. So, just continuing to follow the these verses. Verse 21, for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. You know what we see in that verse at the Mm. end of verse 21? The Mm. son gives life to whom he wishes. One, he has the power and ability to give life, and he also has the will of God to give life to whom he wishes. And in verse 22, for not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son. All right. The, the the judge that we know as God is actually Jesus Christ, the son and verse 23, so that all will honor the son, even as they honor the father. You know what that's saying? Hmm. God, the father wants to make sure that God, the father and God, the son get equal glory. And and a lot of this is paralleled in Philippians 2. And we'll go there um, in a moment. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. So following verse 18, where it talks about how the Jews wanted to kill him because he was making God um, his own father, and by by doing so, making himself equal to God, the, the rest of the verses, verses 19 all the way through 23 at least, make it crystal clear that, no, Jesus Christ indeed is God. So you, you want to kill him for that reason? Well, you're actually killing God in human flesh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, powerful Powerful statements. I mean, you, you go back to that verse 23 uh, again, um, so that all will honor the son, even as they honor the father. I, I mean, as you said, that, that that's that's incredibly important because it means if how you view Christ is not equal 
to how you right. view God, you've misunderstood who Christ right. is. Um, not, not only does Christ uh, deserve, I mean, well, yeah, that, maybe that would be how we say it. Christ deserves worship because he is God. Yep. Um, and right. to have any other view is actually to effectively, uh, by implication, make Christ a creature rather than God. Um, it, so you just see this language all throughout the text. If you take time, I, I, if I often wonder, seriously, if for people who make the claim that Jesus is not God, um, if they've ever read it, really any of the Gospels, but especially the Gospel of John, it's just so abundantly clear. Uh, if, if you take the time and actually, you know, and if you're a quick plug uh, for Eki. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to hear sermons on this, you can. Is are they up on your website? They are. Your they are up website? on our YouTube website. You, yeah, you can go to uh, Eki Church's uh, YouTube. We'll put that in here and l- listen to expository sermons. Go through these passages. Um, they're they're so incredibly helpful. Okay, back to where we were. Uh, he didn't even pay me to well, do that. So. <laughs> I, I did not. I didn't. I was not expecting that. But you, you know, I, and just to add to that, verse twenty-three, that all honor will be given to the Son, even as the Father. Um, in the Old Testament, God says, "My glory I give to no other." Right. Yeah. Um, that's out of the Book of Isaiah. So here, um, if Jesus Christ is not God, this is a contradiction. Yeah. Um, because it's very clear that that God wants God the Father wants to see to it that they honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. And and if we can for a moment, let's go ahead and just go to Philippians two. Um, and we'll come back to to John, but in Philippians chapter two, and Philippians two, I tell you what, this will help explain a lot of the statements that you see from Jesus Christ, where he describes God the Father as being greater. Um, it's not greater in essence; it's not greater as in a different kind of God, but greater in terms of his authority and greater in terms of his position. After Jesus Christ lowers himself to become one of us, uh, verse five: Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And how did he empty himself? By taking the form of a slave and being made into the likeness of man. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by. Becoming Coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when Jesus Christ says God the Father is greater, that's exactly what it's referring to. It's referring to the fact that Jesus Christ humbled himself and emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and then submitted to the will of God the Father. And he did so voluntarily because when you look at these verses again, the fact that he emptied himself in verse 7 and then he humbled himself in verse 8 goes to show it's not God the Father who emptied him. It's not God the Father who humbled him. Jesus Christ voluntarily did both things in order to to help carry out the will of God the Father. And then verse 9, this is important. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. All right, so this is where God the Father comes in because Jesus Christ entrusted himself to God the Father and entrusted himself to the point where it was going to be up to God the Father to determine when God would exalt Jesus Christ, all right, when God the Father would exalt God the Son. So God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name of which is above every name, all right? And there is no name higher than God, all right? The name of God is higher than all. So he bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Now, that right there is another reference to Isaiah, and that every knee will bow. In Isaiah, it is clearly made of Yahweh. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and those who uh, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I do believe that when Paul says Jesus Christ is Lord, I do believe he has the name Yahweh in his mind as mm. he writes that, to the glory of God the Father. So look at that, verse 11, both God the Son and God the Father um, are being honored and glorified. And so having an understanding of that passage really helps fill in any kind of holes that that might creep into your mind when Jesus Christ says God the Father is greater. He's only greater in a temporary sense in position um, because Jesus Christ has humbled himself, became flesh, and submitted himself to following the will uh, of God the Father. Um, but he's not greater in any other sense. They are still equally God. Yeah. Here's a good place to just deal with uh, another quick heresy that's as particularly prominent in charismatic circles. It's something we call the kenosis theory. Uh, it's the idea that, uh, it, well, it's, it tr attempts to answer the question, well, what did Jesus empty himself of? And right. the kenosis theory would say of his deity. Um, it, it is a heresy. It, it, a heresy. It rejects the deity of Christ. It essentially says, and uh, you know, um, Bethel Church in Redding, California. Bill Johnson teaches this: um, that Jesus was only just a man when he walked the yeah. earth because he gave up his deity. That's what he emptied himself of. Um, well, uh, again, if you remove the deity of christ if you make him no longer god you no longer have jesus of the bible so if you in fact believe in the jesus that bill johnson teaches you are not a christian by definition because you believe yeah. in a jesus who was not the living god he was jesus we understand from scripture is truly man and truly god you can't empty god can never empty himself of his own deity um, and, and so when someone yeah. comes to you, Eki, and they say, well, what did he empty himself of? Because it's a common question. H how do you explain yeah. that again to us? Mm -hmm. what, what exactly yeah, did I mean, God empty himself of? Right. Jesus, I mean, you rather. just got to look at the passage. Yeah, you just got to look at the passage. So so I, I know that there are a lot of theologians who will argue that he emptied himself, of, not of his um, his deity, but of his voluntary use of his divine attributes. Um, th that may be so, and you might be able to argue that from other cases. But if you just look at that passage, it says he emptied himself. How? By taking on the form of a slave, by taking on the form of a man. So it was really um, it was really subtraction by addition. Right. He, he emptied himself by by taking on that form. And previously, when it says he existed in the form of God, um, it's really this this idea that that he existed in, in a way that he, he looked exactly as God existed. Right. He he was exalted in the heavens. He, he was his glory was on full display for all of the angels to see. Right, all of creation up in the heavens to, to be able to see. So he existed in his full glory. And by taking on the form of man, people no longer saw that glory. They no longer saw that exalted form. What they saw was someone who took on the form of a slave and was found in the appearance of man, man like one of us. And so there was nothing physically to distinguish him from one of us and, and john 53 uh, not john um isaiah 53 um talks about the same thing um so there was nothing that that separated him appearance wise so really by emptying himself he took on our form and that was what he did to empty himself and then humbled himself to doing everything that god the father did so he did not exercise his own will 
Um, he made sure that whatever God the Father did is exactly what he was going to do. And he says that often in John, and people will twist and distort that to say, see, Jesus Christ is not God. No, Jesus is showing that to show that there is no division between God the Father and God the Son. In fact, when you really take that to its logical conclusion, there there is no other way to interpret Jesus apart mm. from him being God in human flesh. Yeah, and this is a good place to uh, maybe help folks understand how we interpret difficult passages. Um, just some basic fundamental principles. When you get to passages like that, where it says he emptied himself, everyone wants to know, well, what did he empty himself of exactly? Right. Well, yeah. we, we have indications in the passage, but here's what we never do. We never use obscure passages or passages that don't give us very detailed or specific answers and interpret them in opposition to clear passages. Right. Yep. You go back to the book of John, we have very clear passages that make the case for Jesus being God, which means there you can't take an obscure, a more obscure passage like this. I, I wouldn't even necessarily call it obscure, but I think people view it that way. You, you can't take a passage like this and say, oh, okay, well, he emptied himself of his deity because that contradicts very clear right. passages that we have. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. it, it's a common mistake. Um, and, and, and the kenosis theory makes that mistake um, among other mistakes. Um, so what did, but I think that is the key when we start trying to, you know, define exactly what it was he emptied himself. I think, I think the answer to that is found in, the, in, in his humility coming as being a man, right? Yeah. Um, whether you want to phrase it the way many theologians do, um, but w whatever the conclusion is, what we know for sure is what he emptied himself of didn't change the essence of his godhood. Uh, right. it, it doesn't touch his nature or his character um, or, or his essence. So, uh, it, you can't remove his deity. Um, it, we see even throughout Jesus's ministry that there, I mean, he has the power to forgive sins. Um, he does that. He does, you know, signs and wonders and miracles. He knows the thoughts of men. Um, he makes himself equal uh, to God. And, and so, it, even at times, he says, well, you know, do you not think I couldn't command legions of angels? Um, and so, he commands still has the, right, the, the, the authority and the power to command the host of heaven, which yeah. God alone has. And so, you can never come to the conclusion right. that what he's given up is his deity. Um, it, you know, I've often thought about this, and, and one way that I might say it is that um, it, he, he empties himself of his right to pride as God. Um, yeah. it, we often think of pride as being a, a sinful negative thing. And that's true for us because we have nothing to be proud of. God is in fact, deserving of the pride uh, that, that he has. And, and we see that in Jesus making the statement that he humbles himself. Right. Um, and, and so yeah, he and, walks and, in a different way. Yeah. And let me, let me strengthen that even further because that passage out of Philippians, um, amazing passage from verse six to, to verse 11 about, uh, Jesus Christ, his humbling of himself, but also his exaltation. Um, but going back to that word where you had mentioned kenosis, that comes from the word used for emptied himself in the Greek. It's, uh, kanao. He emptied himself. 
Um, but really, this whole passage exists here because Paul is trying to encourage the believers in Philippi um, to to be selfless, not not to be selfish, but be selfless and to treat other people's personal interests as more important than uh, than others. In fact, that's exactly what he says in verse four before he introduces that attitude in Jesus Christ. But going back to verse three, he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And the Greek word for empty conceit is kenodoxia. Um, and, and that's really the same word kenosis that we get kenosis combined with the word glory. So do nothing from empty glory. So in other words, you Philippians or, or you, oh man, anyone who's ever existed, don't do anything from empty glory because it's not a glory you've ever had. It's not any, mm -hmm. you know, it, conceit draws attention to yourself um, for and taking credit for things that you don't deserve credit for. It's all empty glory, but rather be like Christ who actually emptied himself of real glory. He actually had had real glory now when i say he emptied himself his glory i'm talking about his form that he existed yeah. in in the glorious form of god and then hid that by becoming becoming a man and so the the one who had true glory actually hid it when he had no obligation to us to actually do so whereas man tends to take on empty glory glory that that is really uh futile um that that they don't deserve they're they're stealing that that glory away from god but the other point too and you were talking about how god can never stop be becoming god and and this is it is actually an onto what I'll say an ontological impossibility for someone who is God to ever stop being God. If yeah. you are God, you are always God. You can never change that nature any more than we can ever change actually being a human being. No matter how hardened a human being may become, no matter um, what form they take, no matter how they cut themselves up or or put tattoos on themselves or change their forms or get all kinds of weird plastic surgery, whatever they do, they are still by nature a human being. So same thing with God. If someone is God from eternity past, they can never stop being God. But in this case, what Jesus Christ can do is take on the form of one of creation, but his nature of God always remains. Yeah, absolutely. So it's good, just a good place to address that. I want to go back to John. Um, in fact, I want to go back to, we, we mentioned it earlier in verse 18 in John 5. Um, where the Jews were seeking to kill him. Uh, it, when you get to the end where it says making himself equal to God, I, I want to make a couple points here. And the first point is just very simply this. Um, this is not Jesus speaking here. This is John writing. All of the scriptures are equally authoritative. Yes. Right. So you can't come to this passage and say, well, that's not Jesus making himself God. No, in fact, it, this is the Holy Spirit, uh, because ultimately the author of all of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation is the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah. the, the written scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, and and so the, the red letters are no more or less authoritative than the black letters. They are all from God. And so we have just the plain English here, right, that he's making himself equal with God. But then that's also a reference to John 10, um, which we have it again. John 10, 33 um, it says the Jews answered him, him being Jesus, for a good work, we do not stone you. So here's the Jews again, yeah. mm -hmm. stoning mm -hmm. Jesus for a good work. We do not stone you, but for blasphemy and because you being a man make yourself god and and so we see that again right so the jews were not confused no one um no one was denying the fact that jesus claimed to be god in fact they right. were trying to kill him for that very reason 
Uh, now here we are 2000 years later and you have a bunch of people who don't read their Bibles who say Jesus is not God. Um, but it's all over the you place. Know, right. And and what's significant um, to that is, you know, obviously we, we interpret what is being said. Um, but in this case, um, what's equally significant is how Jesus does not respond. He never responds by refuting what they're saying. You know, in every other case, when you see angels being worshipped or when you see apostles being worshipped, they immediately correct that and say, I am not in the position of God. Do not do that. Even in the Old Testament, I think of Joseph and his brothers. Uh, when his brothers, uh, after Joseph's father, Jacob, had died, his brothers are worried that Jacob, uh, that uh, that Joseph, who's now in a position of power, is going to seek vengeance vengeance against his brothers who sold him into slavery. So they come before him, they plead with him, and they actually bow down to him. And Joseph says, I'm not in the position of God, right? Um, and then he goes on to say that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Mm -hmm. But all throughout the scriptures, we see over and over again that whenever any of God's creation, especially those who are followers of God, are being worshipped as God, being worshipped like God, they will correct that in a hurry. Jesus Christ, who is the greatest prophet, all right, the, the, the greatest messenger, he, he is the prophet prophesied from, from eternity past, uh, as God has created this plan from even before the foundation of the world. He never corrects that notion if it is a mistaken notion it is a very important mistaken notion and jesus would have corrected it on the spot but rather what he does he continues to strengthen that statement yeah absolutely yeah so we we just constantly see the, this theme i i want to jump over to some other places um that where jesus assumes the role of a deity and and, and the reason we look at these again is because in, in places where Jesus does only those things that God could do, right, we clearly see that he must be, in fact, God. Uh, if you go over to Luke chapter 6, um, and let's see, what verse are we here? And verse 5, it says, And he was saying to, him, to them, and this is Jesus, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, that is an incredible yes. statement. Well, why is it an incredible statement? Well, because who instituted the Sabbath? Who was the originator, the designer uh, of the Sabbath? God. Right. That goes back. That goes back to the Ten Commandments. That goes right. back to the Book of Exodus. Right. So we're talking. So Jesus is making the claim here that he is Lord over something in the Ten Commandments. Who who he is else the could be that? Right. He's the That's authority. Right. He's mm -hmm. the supreme and ultimate authority. Because again. Um, where did the Ten Commandments come from? They they came from God Himself, um, and so this is an incredibly powerful statement here. Um, it, it, yeah, just something to bring out. It's just one of the other places. Uh, let, let me hop to another place here. Do you have any other commentary on that? No, that that's um, that's a great one, and and it's interesting that um, we've talked about the Ten Commandments, and and this is actually the one commandment that is not reinforced in the New Testament to to Christians about keeping the Sabbath, and you can listen to that episode and, and hear more about that. Um, but it's interesting that when you read through the Gospels, a lot of the clashing that happened between Jesus and the Jews happened over Sabbath violations, and and I believe that was intentional, uh, without a doubt, that Jesus was trying to show their hypocrisy. Um, in, in how they applied the Sabbath, their misunderstanding of the Sabbath. And then for him to make that statement goes to show that the, that the, that the violation that the Jews were coming after him for, for him the most, um, it 
connects back to the law that Jesus himself says, I am the authority of. So how silly does it look that someone is claiming that he is a Sabbath breaker when he is the one who actually instituted the Sabbath and perfectly understands the Sabbath? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, that is repeated in uh, all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And so, again, powerful statements. This is Jesus assuming roles that only God could have. Um, and and it's important. This is why they were accusing him of blasphemy. I think we use that term very loosely sometimes in, yeah. in our society. Um, when they were talking about blasphemy, right, I, I mean, uh, it, it was almost always Jesus making himself equal to God. Uh, and they say that several times, right? I mean, yep. he heals someone miraculously. Now, it's interesting enough that they don't care about the miraculous healing. Um, that's unusual and uncommon. Uh, they don't care about the person getting healed. Um, and they don't care about the evidence uh, in that what right. they care about and they're stoning him they even just brush that aside right oh no we're not stoning you because of the good work that you did we're stoning you because you make yourself equal with god um yeah and and, and he would point out that hypocrisy he even asked them at one point how many of you if uh, if one of your own um, animals one of your own lambs fall into a pit are, are you not going to pull them out um, so they're willing to actually do quote unquote work that that should be prohibited according to their standards um, to to rescue their own animal out of a pit. But then they uh, they go after Jesus Christ for actually healing a man on the Sabbath, which is amazing because that act of healing could only come from God, right? The kind of healing that that he did at, that would climax as we look at the Book of John, it would ultimately climax in John chapter eleven with the actual resurrection or the reviving, bringing back uh, Lazarus from the dead. Um, and, and how do they respond to that? Well, instead of going, wait a second, who can actually bring someone back from the dead except God alone? They instead want to not only go after Jesus even harder, but they also want to kill Lazarus in order to cover up that uh, that that evidence. Yeah, I, I mean, that's if you ever were unsure of the depravity of the hearts of men, I, I mean, to to see that God's resurrected a man and to think, you know what, we need to get rid of Jesus, but the only way we can do that is to murder the man again. I, I mean, yeah. absolutely despicable. Yeah, that um, shows hard-heartedness. Um, that at that point, um, you actually have enough evidence to know that Jesus Christ's claims are true, but now you're trying to bury the evidence because you don't want anyone else to know it. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you go over to John chapter 14, uh, verse 13 and 14, I mean, here's another interesting place. Um it says, and this is Jesus speaking again, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do mm -hmm. so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love yep. me, you will keep my commandments. I mean, That's here's right. Jesus who has the power to answer prayers. I, who, who else has the power to answer prayers but God alone, right? Um, That's right. Now, this doesn't mean if you pray for a red Ferrari, you're going to get that, not what the passage is talking about. Um, but just the point here is Jesus is assuming another role that only God could, in fact, fulfill. Yeah, and, and, um, and talking about uh, that, th this is not about you just asking whatever you want. I'm actually going through these passages right now, 
And you, you see it um, over and over again that Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commandments, right in these same contexts, that you're doing God's will. So that whole idea of asking whatever in his name is in the context of actually following and obeying Jesus Christ and proving to be his disciples. But indeed, a very powerful testimony when Jesus says, ask me whatever you wish in my name. And then in John chapter 15, verse 16, at the end, he says, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Is that a contradiction? No, it isn't. Um, because you can pray to God the Father just as you can pray and make those requests to God the Son. Why? Because God the Son is God in human flesh. Yeah, and it's a good place to uh, just to to just add. Look, it's it's always appropriate to pray to God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. They they are the same God, right? Um, yeah. Three distinct persons, one God. And so we do see most often uh, prayers directed towards God the Father, but it's never inappropriate. Uh, and, and of course, in the Gospels, we see prayers directed towards Christ. We don't see so much directed towards the Holy Spirit, but it, it's never inappropriate to, to right. do that, right? Um, right. Because you're still, in fact, praying to God. Um, let's see. I, I want to hop over to, uh, let's see, Acts seven fifty nine. I I mean, there's so many places in scripture uh so this well, is where what's that this, yeah this is, I, I was i was about to say um <clears throat> yeah th this is a great uh, great verse but there is so much material here i would actually propose that we're, we continue this we're going to do a let's do a part two so we've got enough material here as we're going through this we're only covering some of the evidence here and i think yeah. it's worth doing another episode where we cover more of the the, the evidence so that you you just see with with over the the overwhelming evidence of scripture and that for those of you who are hearing you you not only have um the more equipping to be able to show someone that jesus christ is god but you're able able to defend it and to be able to defend it with all conviction and confidence in what the scriptures testify yeah see i get carried away we'll do um you know like daryl and virgil a three-hour episode um <laughs> But uh, I don't yeah, have that luxury. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, I let me wrap up on this one. It, you know, this is where we have the first martyr in the new in the church in the New Testament church, and it's Stephen, right? Um, yeah. And Stephen's being martyred, and it says they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, "Lord Jesus, receive." my spirit and so we've just kind of been talking about the fact that jesus is answering prayers yeah. right um and has the power to answer mm -hmm. prayers and that's important right. because only god can answer prayers mm -hmm. i mean not only is stephen praying to jesus but he's praying to jesus in such a way that has to do with the eternality of where his soul rests right where he's going to spend all of eternity receive my spirit well who other than god gets to decide who spends eternity with him or apart from him because that's mm -hmm. what stephen's praying right so significant uh prayer here and and understanding um of the the godhood of jesus christ by stephen here yeah and that ties back to john 5 that passage that we read earlier in john 5 where um jesus said that the father has uh, has given authority to the son and the son is uh, has the has the will to save whom he wishes right um so not only he has the power to give life but he can save wh whomever he wishes that this is that ties perfectly right here with the request from stephen when he says not only lord jesus receive my spirit but also lord do not hold this sin against them because that's another way of saying lord please forgive them and by the way 
that prayer was answered very powerfully with through at least one of the Jews who was there, who was the Pharisee, Saul, otherwise known as the Apostle Paul. Yeah, and we'll talk about him maybe in the next episode of this. Yeah. Well, guys, we're going to end on that note. Uh, I hope that this has been helpful to you. Uh, as Eki said, we're going to do a part two. We, we really want you to walk away just having a very good and rich understanding of the fact that Jesus is God. Uh, we hope that this has been helpful to you. Um, by the way, uh, if you don't know, we have a new YouTube channel. Uh, you may be watching this on YouTube channel. Uh, we're trying to get to a thousand subscribers. So if you have not subscribed to our channel, we would love for you to go and do that. And then you can, uh, you know, see Eki's smiling face from week to week. <laughs> um, I, however, have a face for radio. So maybe you can just cover half your screen and listen. But anyway, oh. um, but we would love for you to do that. Uh, we've got some new stuff coming out, YouTube short videos where uh, right now, it's just me answering uh, kind of hot topic or general questions in 60-second formats because that's what YouTube shorts are. They just give you 60 seconds. Um, and, and so we encourage you to uh, view those, share those. And if you have a testimony, I'm just thinking back to the beginning, uh, someone who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, God so graciously decided to use one of our podcasts um if you have a testimony of just how uh th this, these podcasts have benefited you in your christian life we would love to hear about them firstly and foremostly just so that we can join you in praising god for what he's doing Amen. in your life yeah. um you can send us an email um i think the email address is truth be known podcast at gmail but that'd be in the show notes so thank you guys bless you and until next time let the truth be known the Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.